0: All right, well, hey, good morning. Well, it's great to see you guys here this morning. My name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors uh, here uh, at Salem. We're going to be jumping back uh, into uh, the gospel of Mark here uh, in a little bit. Um, and, but I wanted to share something really quick before we, kinda, before we do that, before we jump in. You guys might remember if you guys have been here for a while, uh, if you're newer to church, maybe it's been a little, you know like maybe six months, a uh, month, um, this will be new to you. But several years ago, we did a series out of the Sermon on the Mount, um, and, uh, and it was a really fun, uh, really fun series, and that whole series was actually really built on this idea um, of what's called the halakha in Hebrew. Uh, and, and the reason for that is because this, is because the halakha uh, stems from the word halak, which means to walk. And so it's really about all of life. How do I walk from, from sunrise to sundown, you know, from, from Sunday and Sabbath all the way to Saturday, like, like all of life. And so, but a halakha, about that, how we live, Life and how we walk is the interpretation of one rabbi's view of the law. And so when Jesus, you know, is doing this sermon on the mount, as he's talking to people, you might remember that one of the things he says is this: He says, You have heard it said, but I tell you. And so what he's saying is like he, there are these group of people over here, and here's their view, but let me tell you my view. Okay? And, and it's important because there is this lens in which we sometimes read scripture, in which we read the law in particular, that Jesus goes, man, we need to retrain ourselves to, to see this through the right lens. Like, we, we want to make sure we don't miss the heart of God's law and what it's really all about, right? And so the, the way that we did this is this idea of, of training is that we brought in what we called a backwards bike. We borrowed it. I desperately want to build one. If you have the skills to do it, let me know because here's what it is. It's a bike where they reverse engineer the steering and so when you turn the steering to the right, the, the wheel goes to the left. And when you turn it to the left, it goes to the right. Now, when you look at this and you give people the opportunity to write it, oh man, guys, can I tell you, you will laugh. It is so good because there's, like, there's something in your brain. You go mentally, I know how this works. But we've been riding a bike for so long that as soon as you get on this, just because you know how it works does not mean that you can ride the bike. In fact, here's a quick glimpse of someone who tried. Try again. That was the end of the try. He dropped the bike. He's like, I'm done. I thought I could power through it. I can't. It's so good. By the way, I didn't realize how much I need to work on my encouragement. That was me laughing in the background. You know, they're like, great. It's great to be on Salem staff. So fun. So just laughs at you. Yeah, do it again. Do it again. You know, here's the thing, though. Like, there is a sense, just because we know how it works doesn't mean that we know how to do it. Like, it doesn't mean we actually can. And so here's the deal, guys. Um, This last week, we looked at Jesus in this moment as he watched, watched from a mountain as the disciples are going across the lake in this massive storm, and he decides to meet them in this moment. And in so doing, what does he do? He reveals himself to them in this beautiful portrait of a theophany. It's where, it's where like God reveals himself to people and Jesus shows up and he's like, oh, by the way, what you think of Yahweh, by the way, I'm a part of that relationship. And so you don't need to fear. And so there's this moment, I mean, what we talked about last week is like, guys, don't miss the real Jesus. Don't just follow Jesus because he's Jesus. Don't just follow Jesus because he's like here in the Gospels. Follow Jesus because he is part of I am. That's why. we find, so Don't miss Don't miss that, that he's part of the Trinity. Don't miss it. And so this morning, what I was going to do, I was just going to move on to chapter 7 and verses 14 to to 23. And I was going to summarize verses 1 through 13. And as I looked at this and as I studied it, I was like, there's no way that I can really do this justice in the way that these two things work together. And so I am calling an audible. And if you're like a life group leader, you're like, oh, no is blowing up my plans. I'm sorry. I don't do it very often, but in two weeks we'll be back on schedule. And so this week we're going to do verses 1 through 13. Next week we'll do 14 through the end. It's kind of a two-parter, so make sure you're here for both of those as you see how these two things really work together. But if last week was don't miss the real Jesus, this week is going to be don't miss the heart of God's law. Don't miss it. Don't miss it, okay? Now, here's the deal. The passage that we're going to look at this morning, guys, here's the thing. Two things are going to be held in tension. One is this call to be holy, okay? The reality is, is that God takes our sin very seriously, and so we should too, okay? So, like, God, he he takes our sin so seriously that he sent his son to die for us. Like, you go, gosh, if that's not enough reason to take it seriously, you know, it should be. So we're called to be holy, and there's this design in which God, and we're going to talk about this on a little bit, God and his design, his holiness, and that pure, raw intensity and this draw for us to enter into his presence. It's so good, and there's a call. And so we want to go, man, let's take that seriously. But in this same text, there's a caution. There's a caution from Jesus himself. He says, but be careful, because how you pursue holiness can sometimes lead you to a place where you don't intend to be. And so here's what I want to do, just to kind of keep this big picture as we pull back out to 30,000 feet for a moment, I would tell you this, just to keep it positive. This is important. To follow Jesus is to pursue holiness. If you're like, man, if that's my number one goal, I'm like, great. Then you're, then you're on the right track. Because if cave, table, road, which is what we talk about here at Salem Cave is your relationship with the Father. The table is your relationship with each other, right? And your road is your relationship with the world. If you go, man, those are my Jesus rhythms. If that's my pursuit, and if I'm trying to follow Jesus as closely as I can in that way, guess what? You guys are pursuing holiness already because that's part of who Jesus is. He's holy, And so it's an incredible thing, but we pulled that from from 30,000 feet. I want us to be encouraged because here's the reality, is that Jesus in this, like, it's not going to be super encouraging. So be encouraged because you won't be in a little bit. Guys, what Jesus is going to do in this text is that he's going to step on some toes. In fact, I'm guessing that every single person in this room might walk away with a stubbed toe this morning, including myself, because he's going to talk about legalism. And he's going to talk about hypocrisy. And you're like, great, Seth took a step back to talk about this. That means that something's going on in church. No, it's not. There's nothing that I know of that's going on in church that demands this. But here's the thing. As I look at this, it does it justice to to think about these next verses. And by the way, guys, this is just good, healthy church conversation. We need to be able to talk about these things in a way that's full of grace. Okay? So that's the deal, right? And so it's going to require humility from you, it's going to require humility from me. But for every single one of us, as we step into this, that's where I want us to start, okay? So here we go, chapter 7, we're going to be in verses 1 through 13 of the Gospel of Mark. Here's where we start, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw... That some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed, okay? So, by the way, like this, you stop for a moment and just push pause because what, like, this is story, like, think about eating food with unwashed hands, right? There's a story that maybe should come to mind. And it's just a, a little bit earlier in the, in the chapter before. And Jesus, what does he do? He actually creates bread and creates fish out of these two. He multiplies and feeds 15,000 people. Do you think that those people wash their hands? Probably not, you know? And so here's the deal. Like, these, these guys, these are scribes. This is an official delegation from Jerusalem. This isn't the humdrum people of Galilee. This is the official professional people from Jerusalem. Oh, they've heard about Jesus and they have come to check him out. And it's not because they are amazed at the fact that Jesus just fed 15,000 people. That should be astonishing enough. No, they've come to criticize because they wash with unclean hands. You think their heart's in the right spot. I think we'll see here in a bit, and what we're going to find is that that's not. But by the way, if you were just to replace yourself in this moment to know <laughs> that these people have come to, to watch Jesus, can you imagine if there was a group of people who just started following you around to the hockey game, to your economics class at NDSU or wherever it is, and that sole group of people is like, I'm going to watch you? Can you imagine? <laughs> but what Jesus is going to do in this moment is pretty beautiful. But Mark, he goes on into verse three. Here's what he does. He gives this little parenthetical because Mark is written to who? It's written to the... That fell flat. Romans. <laughs> Normally, we're pretty good at participation. Either guys are just like really quiet or like, I don't remember. The Romans... This is written to Gentiles. What do the Gentiles know about Jewish washing? Nothing. And so Mark is like, hey, let me help you guys understand. Let me just tell you a little bit about this. Thanks, Mark. Here you go. Verse 3. It says this. says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. When was the last time you guys washed your couch? Like, it's unclean. Like, once every 10 years. Actually, most of you are probably like, actually, it's pretty dirty. I just want to get rid of it. Let's just sell it and buy a new one. I don't know how to wash it. Like, here's this thing. Like he, So he tells these people, like, this is what, like, this is the lifestyle that they live. And he says, why do they not walk? Here's the question in verse 5. This is where it goes. This is how this all sums up in this moment. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk? Did you catch that word, walk, halak, halakha? Why do they not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands and you're like i thought this was about eating not about walking oh it's about both because why walking entire life sunrise to sundown sabbath through the end of the week every day every moment of your life especially here in this context is how you touch food and how you consume it with unclean or clean hands and this is the question you're like man like why is this such a big deal like, most of you like, wouldn't even blink an eye. You're like, my kid just like, just wiped all the snot off of his nose and then grabbed a cookie and shoved it in his mouth. Like, we don't even think twice about this. This is huge in this moment because behind the story is this idea of holiness. It's all about holiness. We mentioned this, this last week when we talked about Jesus and we talked about Yahweh, God the Father, right, and the attributes. And one of those attributes is the idea of holy. And we could talk all about holiness from a lot of different angles, but just kind of simply put, like we just talk about the purity. God is undefiled. There's nothing about God that has been corrupted by the brokenness or the sin of humanity. All right, there is nothing sinful, nothing wrong, nothing bad inside of God the Father, inside of Jesus. And as a result of this being undefiled, then he is set apart. That he is over here and we over here. And sin has no place in the presence of the Father. It has no place in the presence of the Father. And you like like you just think maybe for a moment like how much sin drives your day. Like, I bet if like you were to keep a record of this, like, thankfully, Scripture says God doesn't keep a record of wrongs. But if you were to keep a record of, like, everything that you could, oh, man, like, this and this and this and this. And you go, man, like, that morning when I woke up and, and I said this to my, sup, my spouse, my significant other, I said this to my roommate, I said this to my son or daughter, I said this to my teacher, you know, or whatever it is. Like, you get into a spot and you find yourself at the grocery store and you're just lingering on a person of the opposite sex for too long. And you go like man like I have no idea like how much sin actually drives my life and yet the reality is is that we're designed for holiness. We want it, we long for it, we crave it. And Leviticus 11:44 it says this. It says for I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy. Why? <laughs> because I'm holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. That's basically the book of Levit- Leviticus. You know, it's all about things that can make you impure and unclean. Here's what God says, is be holy because I am holy. And this is what we long for. We're designed for it. God's like, here is my presence. This is the radiating intensity of who I am and all of my holiness. And we as sinful people are drawn to that holiness. Here's the problem. How do you do that when you're full of sin? Because sin has no place in it. Like if you were like, hey, let's get on a rocket we're going to go this morning. I called it a bus. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Get on a rocket and you go to the sun. Okay, you get on a rocket, you go to the sun and you start to do this tour and like you're looking and you're like, oh man, you see? Like as you get closer, like by the way, we're 98,000 miles away from the sun. We can feel its effects right here. Do you think that the intensity of this sun is a real thing? Absolutely. Guess what? You're going to find out when you get closer. Because the closer you get, the more intense that radiation becomes. And so you get there, that radiating and intensity, you're like, oh, man, do you see that solar fall? Wow, that's really good. It's starting to get warm in here. Wow, is anybody else really hot? Poof, done. Because you get too close, and you're gone. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project, my friend, he said this. He said this about uh, the sun. and thinking, um, Think about this. He says, game you think about God's holiness. It says, God's holiness is dangerous to us, but not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And are like, that's who we are. Like, we are full of the sin, and yet we long to be in the presence of God. And so, like, how do you hold this tension when that's really what we want? How do we deal with that? And you go, we know that if you read through the story, like, you go, man, what did not you guys just know? It's about Jesus. Well, they didn't have that. They didn't have that back then. So back then, what did they have? They had the Old Testament. How do you do this? You need moral purity. So if you need moral purity, what do you do? You go and you take a pure and spotless sacrifice or lamb or animal and you take it to the temple or the tabernacle and you offer it as a sacrifice. Why? Because there can be no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. And in so doing, there is an atonement and a transference of that. And so what you get in that moment through that sacrifice is moral purity. It doesn't last long, by the way, because you walk outside and an insect hits you in the face and then you're impure again. You know, so like, here's this thing. And you go, well, okay, that's the case. Because there's not only is there moral purity, there needs to be this ritual purity, because in order to enter into the tabernacle, you need to be physically clean. That's the thing. And that's like, like how these all things, they work together. So in order to get one, you have to get the other, Right? And so as you, think, as you think about this idea, you go, man, like, this is why the book of Leviticus is, is so important. Because Leviticus just basically talks like you could just read through this list of things and it says, by all these things, this is what makes you unclean. Uh, my brother, when he was in high school, got into this, um, what we might call, um, like, like, um, A prank war, you know, of sorts, and it started, you know, I think with the simple things like balloons uh, in the car, and then it moved on to something else, and then it moved on to something else, and finally, my brother, I mean, it had lasted like a year, and it just kept escalating. My brother's like, I'm putting this to rest, and so what does he do? He goes out. He goes, I remember Road D. We grew up in rural Nebraska, and so he goes, I remember on Road D, there's that dead possum, and so he goes, and he gets this dead possum, and he grabs it, and he brings it back to her place in the middle of the night, and he's puts that thing right on the roof of her car. Not the roof, sorry, the hood. And right faced at the driver's side thing, he pours water all around it. So she gets out to her car that morning and here's what she sees. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that'd be frowned upon. Why? Because you're touching dead carcasses. Like it was all about these things that are unclean. Guys, they take this so seriously in the Old Testament that here's the thing, like if there was an unclean insect or something in some way, shape or form that somehow ended up in your cooking pot, what do you think you do? Like, mom's cooking chili in this pot. All of a sudden, her son comes by, and he's like, oh, that's a good prank. I'm just going to drop a little impure cricket in there, and there we go. And mom's like, oh, no, that's the worst. You're like, man, we wouldn't even think twice. Some of you are like, you just pull it out and just keep stirring, you know? And some of you be like, yeah, I'm dumping it out, and guess what? I'm going to wash that thing out. I'm going to make it pure, because that's what we think of. We think of washing. We I'm just making it clean, right? In the context of them, here's what they do. Instead of all of that, they take it, they take it outside, and they smash it. It's done. Because that's the law of transference. When something unclean touches something that is clean, guess what? It's no longer clean. It is now unclean. And so here's the deal, like when you think about life, and you think about living life in the Old Testament, like you you see a dead carcass, you see the wrong kind of animal on the ground, which are whatever, unclean, and you go, man, like I can't touch that, so what do you do? You just back away, and you go hands back, and you go, I am separated from that. I am going to say set apart from that, so that I can maintain my purity. And by chance, if something does touch you, or gets you, guess what? You're impure until evening. And so all of a sudden, you begin to understand, like, this, the rituals of what you need to do. And so here's what you do. You wash your hands, which is where this whole thing started, right? And so they would pour some water into their hands, and they would cup it. And in so doing, they let it drip down, so it makes it all the way past the wrist. And they would go back and let it go all the way back down until every drop comes back off of your fingertips, now imagine doing that every day over and over and over and over. Like, and that's, you go, okay, all of a sudden I'm beginning to understand why this is a big deal, right? And here's the key, right? You look at this and they, because they say, why do your disciples not walk, right? Not walk according to what? The tradition of the elders, Guys, you see the shift? We're not talking about the law anymore. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what we as elders have set aside as tradition. That's the difference. That's a shift. I don't know if you guys know, how many of you guys know, like how many um, commandments there are in the Old Testament? Some of you are like, well, I don't know, it was at least 10. I know that. And probably two more because God said, love, your, love the God and love your neighbor. So 12, at least 12. It's like the price is right, just don't go over. 613. There's 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And all of a sudden, some kid, I just wish like, some kid would have gasped and made this more special and be like, "Ah!" like I thought my math homework was bad. You know, 613. Can you imagine growing up and having to learn all of those? By the time you get done, you're like, ugh. But here's the thing, the Pharisees and the scribes are like, you yeah, know, 613, that's not enough. Here's what we do. We don't know. When God says, love your neighbor as yourself, what does that mean? When is he my neighbor? When is he right next to me? Does it matter if he's a guy or a girl? Does it matter if he's younger, older? Does it matter if it's a Sunday or a Saturday? Does it matter if it's after harvest time? And all of a sudden, they begin to write commentary, commentary, commentary. Before you know it, after a couple hundred years, they got this book, called the Mishnah, and it's full of commentary about what it means to love your neighbor and when you should do it and in such and such a way as opposed to a different way. And you're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> Years go by and they're like, yeah, yeah, this is actually a book. This feels pretty light now. Let's make another one. <laughs> Gemara. They make another book. Eventually, they combine the two into the Talmud. Guys, it's six times the size of the Old Testament. You pick that book up and you drop that on a kid's desk, it's going to shake the library. And all of a sudden, you're like, man, how am I supposed to know? How, how is it possible that I could ever really love my neighbor if there's 18 bazillion different ways in which I'm supposed to like, process in my head? Like, well, it's Saturday, not Sunday, but like, your hair's too long, and like, you haven't shaved your beard. I, I can't do it. Like, all of a sudden, you go, man, this is, this is a hard thing. Guys, there's a story about a man. I don't know if it's true, but there's a story about a Jewish man who was arrested. He was put in prison. And, uh, and so they brought him his daily water you got to remember, he's in a dungy, dirty prison. And so all the time, he's touching things that are gross and unclean and impure. And so what he does is that he takes all of his water, and he, all he does is wash his hands throughout the day without even drinking, almost dies of dehydration. Eventually, he's released. The rest of the Jewish people were like, that is one godly dude. they are like, really? Like Jesus is like watching somehow from a distance. The Holy Spirit's like, just drink the water! Come on, like have you missed the heart of the law? You see, the Pharisees and the scribes were really good at this thing called fencing, and I'm not talking about like special sword fighting skills. Like they're not swashbucklers, they are fence builders, right? So if you come back over here and you go, okay, so here's here's our command, be holy, right? Here's the command, be holy, Okay, And so you start to think, like, well, what does that mean? Like, How often do I do that? When do I do that? And so there's this fear of, of not being holy because, we gosh, we want to enter in. We want to take our sin seriously. We want to be in the presence of God. God is holy, and we have all this sin, and so what do we need to do? And so what they did is instead of just relying on this is they, they built these boxes. It's called fencing. And so they put this big boundary around this, and they label it with the idea of washing because they go, gosh, well, if I can wash my hands, it doesn't matter how many times if I do it in a given day, but if I just keep washing and washing and washing, then I'll know that I'll be holy. You get that? That's what they do. That's what they do. And so like they're, they're just creating these fences all the way around it over and over and over, and yet here's the problem, guys. There's two problems. We could talk about a whole bunch of them, but here's problem number one. It's like, where does it stop? Like at what point does this like thing come to a conclusion? Okay? So let's do this again. Let's do it with a different one, though, this time. Okay? Let's say, remember the Sabbath. Okay? All right. Remember the Sabbath. Remember to keep it what? Holy. There we go. Participation. Remember, Mark, Gentiles. Okay, we're on it. So, right? So remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So these two things are related. As a part of that was this idea of work, right? Like Like, no work. Don't do work. And so then the the scribes, the Pharisees, what they do over years, they go, well, what defines as work? Is turning on the lights work on the Sabbath? Does carrying my handkerchief down the stairs count as work? Does walking more than X number of steps count as work? Those, every single, you're like, those are made up, they're all real. Every single one of them. You see, what they do is they go, boom boom. And all of a sudden, right, we we create so many boundaries, right? And it's over and over and over. We're creating all of these boundaries. Because again, if you go like, boom, 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 you come out here. If If I just don't do this, then I know that I'm keeping the Sabbath holy. Like, where does it stop? Like, at what point does this actually finish? Because for every single person, for every single family, it's a little bit different. And you're like, this just started with washing of hands. Like, you're like, this isn't even that big of a deal. Tell me about something today. Okay, great question. What about alcohol? Can can a Christian enjoy a drink of alcohol without getting drunk? What about tattoos? Some of you are like, no. Some of you are like, yeah. It's not a huge thing here, but it's becoming more popular. What about Harry Potter? It's a little overdone, but they're redoing it into a TV series, so it's got a whole new thing again. Can people watch Harry Potter? Can people watch Reacher on Amazon Prime? Can people be? Can you be a Christian and be anything but a Republican? Can you be a Christian and anything other than a Democrat? You, 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 all of a sudden, you go like, what about school? Like, should all Christian kids be private schooled in the Christian education system? Should all be in the public school? Should all of them just be homeschooled? You see, like, it just keeps going and keeps going, right? Like, should all Christians be old earth creationists? Should all Christians be new earth creationists? You see, like, all of a sudden, like, it just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. It's like, where do you stop? At what point does this, like, actually finish in this conversation, Because at some point, if you're going to take this to its rational end, at some point, you go all the way end, and you're going to say, here, here's the deal on Sabbath. You want to keep it holy? You can't do anything other than sit up, grab a pre-poured glass of water from yesterday with a PB&J that you knew would keep overnight, not with ham and turkey. Don't do that. And you go, I'm just going to sit here and breathe and eat and drink. Like, where does it Stop. This right? is a really important thing. Guys, here's the thing. Guys, when we talk about pursuing holiness, guys, I would just go, man, take sin seriously. Why? Because God takes sin seriously. He says, pursue holiness, be holy as I am holy. And so you go, Seth, don't, like, is it like bad to have high standards or is it good to have? It's great to have high standards. But you as an individual or you as a family need to decide what's our interpretation of scripture in this and what does our conscience allow. And that's your decision. And the moment, though, that you push that or force that standard or that tradition onto somebody else is the moment that you enter into legalism. I think that's a little kid, but it sounded like applause. It's the moment that you enter into legal because that's not what the law says. The law says, don't watch Harry Potter. It doesn't say that. It says other things, and so you can make that decision, but the moment that we push that onto other people is the moment we become a Pharisee, and it's the moment that Jesus is going to call us out. Guys, and I would say this more than anything, too, like, when we do that, we're going to push people away, not draw people close. That's in part what's happening. So, problem number one: where does it where does it end? It just keeps going, it keeps going, it keeps going. Here's problem number two: is that over time the gospel is going to change? You're like, I don't think we were talking about the gospel, guys. Here's the reality: you ever heard the phrase that has become gospel? All of a sudden, what used to be the good news has shifted, and now that good news is something else. And so if you come over here, right, it doesn't matter where you put yourself. You go boom, 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 all of a sudden, maybe I'm way over here, and there's like a whole bunch. You're like, well, at least I'm not these people who hold it all the way over here, but I'm right in here. Guys, what happens is that, or what can happen is that over time, you can come to believe this to be more true than this itself. And the degree in which that is removed, your belief is removed from this, the good news has been diminished and deconstructed and broken. And it's all of a sudden, it's not about being clean inside anymore. It's about me being clean on the outside. Do you get that? This is a massive difference because when you look at this, this is the law. You read Psalm 119 and the way that it describes the law, you're like, oh man, the law is so good, it's like putting honey on a wall and asking kids to lick it it is so good. Like the law, the way that it is designed is for you to enter in and go, man, this is so enjoyable. This is life-giving. This is joyful. But all of a sudden, doom, 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 doom. And all of a sudden, this no longer becomes my good news, but this is. And it's about how I live my life. And it's different, isn't it? All right. And you're like, it begins to expand into those things. And you're like, give me an equivalent. Okay, here's the deal. Like the question that they would have asked would have been a very public question. The Pharisees in front of Jesus, it would have been something similar to this. Somebody walks into our church in the middle of the sermon, says something like this. Hey, Seth, you're the senior pastor. Why is it that not everybody in your church, when you pray, bow down on their knees, bow their head, close their eyes, and clasp their hands? Have you not taught them better? Because that's what real prayer is. Let's go more charismatic. Somebody comes in and says, hey, Seth, why is it that your church, not everybody in your church, raises their hands for worship? Because that's what real worship is. Haven't you taught them that? Let's get personal. I've been here four years. I've been here long enough to be able to tell this story. Four years ago, I sat in this pew right here. And I turned around to introduce myself to somebody at something other than a church service. And I said, hey, my name is Seth. He goes, oh, I know who you are. We've been watching you from a distance. Do you even know what a tie is? (laughs) Guys, you ever seen a gorilla in a cage? (laughs) I thought about Jesus in the temple. I thought about just inner challenging my gorilla and flipping that pew all the way upside down. Yeah, you (laughs) do. And in the moment, guys, grace ruled. And I looked at him and I said, you know, that's, that's great. I do enjoy wearing a tie for certain occasions, but that's really not me. And, you know, and I prefer to dress in a way so that every single person who walks through that door feels comfortable. That's me. You see, like we're designed for holiness. And we're designed to take sin seriously. But let's call sin a sin. And what's not a sin, don't call it a sin. Because I'm sure it doesn't say anywhere, like, you need to wear a tie. And it doesn't say that you need to do this or do that, right? There are things that the Bible speaks very clearly into. But in this context, you go, man, that doesn't feel right. That's because it's not. And what Jesus is going to do is he enters into this scenario with these industrial-sized Jesus bolt cutters. And he's like, I'm going to separate the legalism from the joy of the law. Here's what he says as he talks to the Pharisees. He says this. This says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? Let's just stop there. When we talk about prophecy, here's something. you know: we, The entire, or most of the prophetic role in the Old Testament was just to call people back into right relationship with God. So, sometimes prophecy was about foretelling. This is the way that it was going to be. Sometimes it's about foretelling. I almost wonder if Isaiah is prophesying in this moment, and Jesus is like, I concur, that there will always be a portion of people in every generation who will be more enwrapped in this than they are with Jesus. So there's this prophecy. Here's the thing, he calls them hypocrites. Greek word, hypokrites, is this. You're like, I don't even know what that means. All I know is that it means saying one thing but doing another. You know why? Because in the New Testament time, a hypocrite was an actor. It was someone who went up on the stage. They had theater way back when, and they would go up, and they would perform plays and dramas, and Jesus is like, hey, you're one of those people who puts on a mask and other clothes, plays out a role. This isn't even a comedy. This is a sad drama, but you are playing your part. You're a hypocrite. This is incredibly, incredibly offensive. He says, it goes on. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The idea of honor, it's like this, is that you take God and you take him and you venerate him and you put him in your home and you put him up on the shelf and you're like, oh, and you step away. But as you do, like your heart gets farther from it. And it's like this moment where God's like, hey, you've forgotten that this is about relationship and that this is about the heart of God's law. You've missed it. We miss the heart of God. Jesus goes on, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Verse nine, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Like he, what Jesus is saying is like, here's the danger, guys. If you are in danger of anything in this, is that you can be out here, you can be so focused on this that you will actually end up rejecting the very commandment that I gave you. And when you reject it, the deeper side of that is that you actually nullify it. This is no longer God's good command. What you're focusing on is this, and this is now nullified. And by the way, we do this. This all starts with really good intentions, but sometimes what we can do is we can get to this spot and we're like, man, because I'm out here and I'm doing all these things, I am worshiping God and Jesus is like, are you? Because when you've nullified the commandment, your worship has been inverted. And you are no longer worshiping Yahweh. You're worshiping yourself because it's about what you can do and what you can accomplish. And all of a sudden we're like, oof, oof, we need that bolt cutter. We need to be cut from that. And they think that the, all of this started with a washing of hands. And you go, why is this important? I just want you to imagine for a moment that you're in your car, you leave, maybe it'll happen today, but you start driving away and it's cold outside and you come across a man or a woman who's standing on the corner with a sign that says, please help You see, I think what happens oftentimes in that, if there's somebody in the car, we're like, hey, how you doing? And we start a conversation, because the last thing we want to do is look at somebody in that moment, because when we do, it starts to feel guilty, and when we feel guilty, we begin to rationalize and justify inside of ourselves, even though the law says, and what God says, this is what's so good for you, and so good for the world, is if you love God and love other people, and we're like, yeah, but the Bible also says, be good stewards of your money. And I have no idea what he's going to do with it, so I just should not give it to him. Oh, you know what? By the way, the Bible also says don't help anybody who won't help themselves. And Qdoba's hiring, and they're making $17 an hour. That's competitive wages. All he has to do is go across over there and get a job. You're like, I don't think it's quite that simple, but okay, I see what you're saying. But what happens is that, is it possible in that moment? Guys, I don't have a, a great scenario to say, what do you do? Maybe you roll down your window. Maybe you give granola bars. I don't know. But just driving by over and over and over, here's what I want you to imagine. What if your kids are in the car with you, and they see you continually just miss that moment? What if your grandkids are in your car, and every time you drive past them, they see you do nothing? I'm not saying what you should do, but they see you drive past. Here's my question. Are we teaching the next generation to nullify the commandment of God? Because the very thing that we are designed for is oftentimes the very thing that we, had, we reject. Why do we reject it? Because we want to be set apart and we want to be holy. We are afraid of getting our hands dirty. We don't want to. We don't want to get dirty. By the way, guys, here's the contrast. Jesus gets his hands dirty all the time. And we wonder why in the world the world sees a disconnect between Christ and Christianity. And we go, if you look at this and you go, this doesn't feel right. Well, you go, that's because it's not. Guys, Jesus isn't Opposed to tradition. Tradition is not bad. If we're to be really clear about that, Jesus is opposed to tradition that nullifies the law. So here's the big idea that I would leave you with is this, is that we must never let a pursuit of holiness deter us from doing what Jesus would do. Guys, holiness is so good. Desire it, long for it, pursue it, enter into it, take your sins seriously, but the moment that you're, that, that, that actually prevents you from following and doing what Jesus wants you to do? Oh, man, we've we missed the heart of the law of God. That's so important. As we end, here's, you know, I would think about this. Like, I don't like I've been told that Tutti Frutti is one of the, one of the best froyo places in town. Okay, Tutti Frutti, a lot of people love fruity. Tutti Frutti. They love frozen yogurt, they love ice cream. It doesn't matter. I want you to imagine just going into Tutti Frutti and I want you to just imagine picking your favorite ice cream or your favorite froyo and go, man, this is my favorite one. Because as you taste it, as you experience, it, you're like, man, this is so good that I want, this is actually so good that what I want to do is that I want to give it to the world to experience. Go, man, you've got to try and taste this tutti frutti flavor. By the way, Salem comes from the word shalom. Shalom in Hebrew means peace. One of the marks of a disciple that we put in our booklet is this. It's a peacemaker. A peacemaker is one who loves like Jesus. It's someone who brings gospel hope and renewal into a broken world. We are designed to be Salemites. We are designed to be the shalom bringers that when we enter into the world, it's like we're giving people a taste of shalom. This is the way the kingdom is designed to be. And it is so good. You go back to the very beginning of this story and you remember that this is an official delegation that's watching Jesus, watching their every move. Here's what I'd tell you, the world is watching your every mood, your every move. And they're wondering what you're gonna bring to them. When Jesus declared, I am, he attaches himself to holiness. Guys, and here's what I tell you, to follow Jesus is to pursue holiness. Keep doing that over and over and over because the more that you follow Jesus, the more that you are gonna fill your life with so many good things that sin's not even gonna want to have the same place. In fact, I might argue that to pursue holiness actually requires that you get your hands dirty. Remember, we're talking about food, not the other things. We'll talk about the rest next week. Let me give you these three things as we go. There's a call to holiness, but there's also the caution. Legalism, guys, creates toxic churches, and it ruins our evangelism. So when you see it, can you call it out? Can we talk about this? Can we dialogue it? Like, don't be the person who's like, see it. it's you. Don't do that, but pull them aside. Grab a coffee, myself included. If you see something, let's talk about it because that's not good. And you're like, hey, how do I remove the hypocrisy? Tough luck, you're stuck with it. We're all hypocrites. We all say one thing and do another. The question is to what degree we're comfortable with that. Are you apathetic in your sin to say I don't really care what I do or are you so concerned with your sin that it leads you to a place of judgmentalism? The last one is this, follow Jesus. Because to follow Jesus is to pursue holiness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, this morning, as we're about to sing a song, Christ is enough. Lord, I pray as we reflect on the many different things in life, like as we go, gosh, we walk out of this place and we go, man, I have a stub toe. Because every single one of us has a place on that chart where we go, that's where I land. And guess what? I've tried to force other people to do that too. And just like, man, you're missing the heart of the law. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would retrain us retrain us to ride the bike, that you would be reteaching us as a way to, to, to bolt cut ourselves from the legalism, to hold our sin and to hold it very seriously and to pursue holiness, but at the same time to realize that that can lead us to a place where we can push people away from God. I pray that you would give us rest in your grace. Allow us just to fall deeply in love with your law, that we would not miss Jesus, not miss the real Jesus, but that we would also not miss the heart of your law. May we never forget and lose the gospel, but we love you, and we pray. Amen.